All right, Isaiah chapter 12, starting in verse 1. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Good morning, church. Uh, It's good to be with you again uh, as we dive in today together to Isaiah chapter 12. One of the things that I'm hearing a lot is that we live in extraordinary days. You heard that phrase? We live in extraordinary times and extraordinary days. Uh, while that's true, I think a, uh, a biblical perspective might have a little twist on that, or a big twist on that. I think Isaiah, and in particular Isaiah chapter 12, would say, um, from an eternal perspective, there are no ordinary days. All days are extraordinary. You see, Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 12, did you catch a a phrase repeated twice? Uh, In that day, in that day, in that day. Uh, This is something that Isaiah says all throughout uh, the book of Isaiah, in particular the first 12 chapters that he's been through. We hear, in that day, in that day, in that day. And so there are no ordinary days for Isaiah. Uh, There are no ordinary days for us. It's kind of like one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes. Uh, C.S. Lewis says there are no ordinary people. Because we are eternal beings that Christ is going to raise uh, all of us up, some for an eternity in hell, some for an eternity in heaven, he says we never meet ordinary people. He says everyone you interact with are either going to be eternal beings in hell whom if you saw them now, you would recognize them maybe from your nightmares, or you see an extraordinary person who in eternity, if you were to see them now, they'd be so glorious you'd be tempted to worship them. He says there are no ordinary people. And I think that reflects Isaiah. There are no ordinary days. There are days of being under the shadow of judgment, for those of us outside Christ. And there are our days of being in the brilliance of our salvation. And neither is ordinary. Neither is ordinary. So every morning we wake up to a day shadowed by God's wrath or shining with salvation. And every day we wake up, we are one day closer to the ultimate day of judgment. Every day we wake up closer to that day. And so uh, Isaiah would seem, and, and I think we can all agree that when we wake up, we have eternity over us. All of our days are extraordinary. Um, and, and these days uh, ha- are colored by judgment and wrath or salvation. If we start to see the world this way, uh, everything will change for us. 
everything will change for us. For non-believers, we wake up to a day that might feel normal to us, but it is overshadowed by a future day of God's wrath against our sin. And that day is screaming towards us like a meteor about to hit the earth. And Isaiah, all throughout the first few chapters of his, of his book, uh, describes what this day, ultimate day, will look like. Describes what it's like to be in the shadow of God's wrath, to wake up in the shadow of God's wrath. Uh, Israel has been disobeying God, and so Isaiah tries to call them out and says, um, the, your, your day of judgment is coming, and this is what it will look like. He says, on that day... They will climb into caves to avoid the terror of the Lord. He says, in that day, the Lord will take away all their riches. Mentions taking away their their necklaces and their bracelets and all all the things that that they, they rely on that they think make them rich. In that day, the Lord will take them away. In response to Israel's disobedience, Isaiah says, in that day, in the day of judgment for Israel, the Lord will whistle for the foreign armies, like a man whistles for a dog to come. How about this? On that day, the Lord will shave their heads and their beards. Oh no, not my beard. That means it was was a man's honor in Israel to wear a beard. I think we should revive that. I think everybody should wear beards. In that day, the Lord will turn their rich vineyards into thorns. And that's the day... That's a shadow of the day of judgment, the day of God's wrath that everyone outside of Christ wakes up to, whether they know it or not. But for believers, every day we wake up might feel ordinary, might feel normal, but every day is shining under the future day of God's gracious salvation that is coming towards believers as glorious as the sun. And it's that day in Isaiah 12 that Isaiah wants to lay out in front of believers and say, your salvation, the day you believed in Christ, your day of salvation, this is what it looks like. Isaiah 12 shows that the day you were saved, Christian, The joy that comes from it will echo for eternity. I love this chapter. Let's dive in a little bit. And I I think we ended that sentence with joy. And I think that's where we need to start when we look at Isaiah chapter 12. Isaiah chapter 12, the the central verse of that, that chapter and the central theme of that chapter when it comes to the day of salvation is the word joy. Christian, your day of salvation has purchased for you an unlimited amount of joy in the Lord. Christian, your salvation should have unlocked for you tremendous joy in the Lord. He says it like this. Verse 3 says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Now, for us, we might read wells of salvation and say, yeah, that's a nice image. Sometimes I get thirsty. But for the Israelites, 
who lived in a desert, wells symbolized life-giving. Wells were everything. If you didn't know where the wells were, you weren't going to live. And so Isaiah says, Christian, your day of salvation is like this. You were lost in the desert. The sweltering heat of the sun blazing down upon you. And you know the picture. We've all seen movies or, or pictures of, of the great sand dunes in the desert. That's what comes to my mind. And the picture of our salvation is this. You were lost among those sand dunes. You were on your last, in your last few moments of life, you were climbing up those dunes as sand would, would shower down upon you. And you'd go up and down desperately hoping for something to save you from your thirst. And as you crest that last dune, I can't do it anymore. And as your eyes top the dune, you see down to a field full of wells and water. You thought you were on your last breath and the sight of wells streaming and overflowing with water has, has given you new life and you rush down into uh, that, that field full of wells. And, and what do you do? What do you do? Do you make sure, well, I need a clean cup. If I don't find a clean cup, I'm not going to, no, are, are you going to grab that clean cup and take a little dainty drink? And No, what are you going to do? Enjoy! You're going to rush to the nearest well and plunge your whole head into that cool water and drink and drink and drink. And you're going to grab that bucket and you're going to fill it with water and you're going to dump it over yourself. You're going to let that cool, refreshing, life-giving water just flow over your sunburned skin. And you're going to splash in the water and you're going to laugh. And the joy that comes from that life-giving water is going, to, is going to overwhelm you. You can't believe what has happened. You were lost and you were dead and now you are alive. Isaiah says, Christian... The day of your salvation, when you came to Christ, that joy is yours. That joy is yours. And we see, we see this theme of salvation and water, salvation and wells. We see that throughout Scripture. This is a theme in Scripture. In fact, Scripture says that our, our greatest thirst is for God. Whether you know it or not, your greatest need, your greatest thirst is for God. David in Psalm 63 writes about this. He's in this desert that we're talking about. He's in the desert of Israel. He's feeling this thirst. And David realizes that his physical thirst for water reflects his spiritual thirst for his God. And he writes this. Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. 
Psalm 42 says this, As a deer pants for flowing water, so pants my soul for you, O God. Now, if you've worshipped with us for a while, you know that song that goes along with that, As the deer, it's a beautiful song. Um, But I like singing it like this, As the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you, O God. That's our thirst. We're so thirsty for God. And we often try to fill that with, uh, with, re- with human relationships or sex or drugs or, or successful businesses or money we, or, or anger. We try to fill that thirst with so many other things. But the only thing that will satisfy, the only thing that will satisfy our thirst for God is faith in Jesus. And he says that, doesn't he? John 7, 37 says says this, On that last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the key. In John 4, we see Jesus meet the Samaritan woman at the well. Not a coincidence. He meets her at the well, this woman lost in her sinfulness. And Jesus shares the gospel. He asks her for water and she says, how are you, a Jew, asking me for water? And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Everyone, he says, who drinks of this water speaking of the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Our deepest thirst is for God. And so our day of salvation is like a man dying of thirst in the desert, discovering a field full of wells. And I think it goes even beyond that. I think... The joy that we find in Jesus is, of course, even greater than the joy of that man dying of thirst, finding water. Think about all the words that we read in Isaiah 12. It goes like this, I will give thanks. The Lord is my song. With joy I will get this water. Give thanks, sing praises, shout and sing for joy. Joy is the defining mark of the Christian. Joy. Joy in the Lord. Joy in our salvation. Joy in Jesus. Now, we need to be careful to understand the difference between joy and happiness. Okay? The joy that Jesus brings is different than happiness. Happiness depends on your situation. Okay? When the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, I was happy. Next year, if they lose the Super Bowl, they're going to win the Super Bowl next year. But if they were to lose the Super Bowl, I will be sad. Happiness comes and goes. Jesus doesn't promise us happiness. In fact, he promises that we're going to have unhappy days as believers. He promises us joy in every situation, supernatural joy. 
Because the well that we have found, the water that Christ has given us in our salvation is permanent and is life-changing and is something that our joy can be founded on no matter our situation. That's why Paul can sing hymns in prison. That's why our missionaries can go out and, and, and suffer for the cause of the gospel in joy. That's why no matter what is going on in our life, we can have joy through our tears because we know we have Jesus. And we see the, the, the day of salvation that he has given us. So don't confuse joy and happiness. Happiness is cheap. Joy is eternal. So, side note, don't sacrifice eternal joy in Christ for temporary cheap happiness. Don't do it. And part of this joy, I mean, this joy is everywhere. And it, we need to be breathing it in and breathing it out in our life. Malachi 4.2 says it this way, and I love this. Uh, God is speaking to his people. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And get this, you shall go leaping like calves from the stall. Happy animals is leaping in the sun. That is you and me, Christian. That is the joy that is offered in this day of salvation. The day you came to Christ, that joy is there for you. So the question is, when we see that in that day, the day of our salvation, when I gave Christ my life, when I repented and believed in Jesus, on that day, my life will be defined by joy in Jesus. If that's true, the question then for us, Trinity, is does our church reflect that joy? I think, I think every church needs to ask this question. If you've been in church long enough, you know that there are business meetings, that there are committee meetings, that there are all kinds of times in church history and church life where there's, there doesn't look to be any joy in that room. We're broken people. Church people are, are sinners just like everybody else. And so we need to be very careful and ask ourselves in every meeting, every time we get together, are we being joyful? Can people, can an outsider come in and watch our business meeting and say, that group of people, I don't know anything about them, but they're joyful. And if not, why not? I've heard that the eminently famous atheist uh, Nietzsche left his church at a young age because he never heard them laugh. Now, is there a place to be solemn in church? Absolutely. Are there whole books of the Bible about lamenting? Absolutely. Um, that's part, that's part, of, part of our life is... is uh, there, there are sad things that happen. There are solemn things that happen. There are important things that happen. There are tough times. But throughout those tough times, for believers, there is a thread of joy that will be deafening. It will be deafening. So, now the question is, what, what gives us this joy? 
says, on that day, you will get wa- joyfully get water from the well. What's the source of it? Is it just the water? What's the source of our singing? What, what, brings, what brings this joy from down here to up here? What brings this joy from happiness to joy? A cup of water can bring happiness. What makes it joy? Discovering the well water is discovering the triumph of God's grace and the turning away of His wrath. That's what makes your day of salvation joyful. And he says this in verse 1. Phenomenal verse. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. Give thanks why? I'll give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you are angry with me, your anger turned away from me that you might comfort me. That you might comfort me. Joy in our salvation is like the man. So we've got him down there and he's drinking and he's drinking uh, from the well. He's dumping his head and he's splashing around. He's laughing in joy that, that he has found salvation. And what makes this joy so deep and real is his realization that over his shoulder is a wrathful desert. If he was driving in his air-conditioned car with his extra-large Dr. Pepper listening to his favorite music and he sees the well, is he going to be as joyful? Probably won't even pull over. But this man knows the wrath of that desert was excruciating. He knows that that desert was bearing down on him. He knows that that desert was angry and was coming for him. And so what makes his joy so deep is the realization that not only does he have water, but this water has turned away the anger and wrath of that desert. He didn't come from a five-star resort. That gives it depth. The man knows how close he came to being devoured by the wrath of the desert. Without that understanding, the man will find the wells to be nice. He'll be happy. It'll be a flimsy and shallow happiness for a moment. But then after drinking for a moment, he'll turn to other things and, and forget the water behind. But that's not the, that's not the picture of the, our day of salvation. We are there with the living water and we drink it and we drink it and we drink it. We don't go anywhere. And what gives it the depth of that joy and not just happiness is that we know what we escaped. God is wrathful towards our sin. And Scripture tells us that there's a day of judgment where God will crush all sinners all those who are not in Christ and my friends God must crush sin or he's not God however for those in Christ 
for those drinking from the well, God's wrath has been satisfied by Jesus' willingness to climb the cross as our substitute. In our stead, he climbed the cross, taking the wrath of God on his back willingly. Don't get this wrong. Jesus was willing. He knew it was good. And he took the wrath of God so that my sins and your sins can be punished on the back of Jesus. And we can instead laugh and play and drink the well water of life. Isaiah will go on to say this in chapter 53. He'll say, He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace, the punishment that brought us to the well was upon Jesus. By His wounds we are healed. And this, this picture, we are in the desert and God in His grace, in the triumph of His grace, unmerited favor, He sees us in the desert and He plucks us up with His hand and He puts us into the water Himself. And we didn't earn that with righteousness or with money or with popularity or with niceness. We did not earn that at all. It was totally the unmerited triumph of God's good grace for you and for me, Christian. And this is on, this is on Isaiah's mind. In chapter 6, he, see, he sees this for himself. In chapter 6, he gets a vision in the throne room of God, and he's there, and he sees God in His holiness. You know what he says? He says, Woe is me! I am torn asunder because I have unclean lips, and I'm before a holy God. He knows he's in the desert. He's before God, His holiness. And what happens? He's not devoured. The mercy of God. An angel takes a coal from the altar fire, puts it on Isaiah's lips, and Isaiah can be in the presence of God. What is that? The unmerited triumph of grace that allows Isaiah, a sinner, to be in the presence of God. This is not a popular thing to talk about in American church life, the wrath of God. But my friends, when Christians ignore the wrath of God, when we reject the teaching that God's wrath was satisfied on Jesus Christ, when we don't preach this from the pulpit, when we don't share this as we evangelize, we present a well that will quickly dry out we present Jesus as bringing happiness for a season. Because without the weightiness of the desert and the wrath of the desert behind us, nobody cares. Then the gospel's a nice thing. Then the gospel helps us live our best life now. But it doesn't prepare us for eternity. It won't bring us a, that joy. By the way, if you're living your best life now, 
that means your eternity is going to be in hell. Because if you're living your best life now, you're not going to heaven, which is much better than anything you can experience now. When we, when we minimize the wrath of God, when we forget that we have been saved from the wrath of God and we forget how terrible it was in the desert under the wrath of God, we easily move on from the well water because we don't find the well water so precious. We move on to other things. An easy test to determine if I've embraced, if I've not embraced Jesus as satisfying God's wrath for me on the cross. Here's an easy, have you moved on? If we understand the weight of the wrath of God and the joy that comes from not being under that just wrath for us. If we understand that, we're going to be in the well forever. We're not moving on. But if things like political party has become central to my idea of Christianity, I've, I've forgotten how hot the desert is. If my, the center of my Christianity now is, is trying to live a moral life, if that's, if that's the main part of my Christian faith and not the well water, I'm moving on to something else. If that's true, I forgot how great my salvation is. Have I moved on? Is my, the center of my Christian world about social status? Do I come to church so that others will think I'm a good person? Do I come to church like a social club because it provides me with certain things? Is my faith all about me and what God does for me and, and how he can help me live my best life now? Is that the center of my faith? Or is the center of my faith that well water that has saved me from the wrath of the desert? To realize the wrath of the desert is to never leave the well. To realize the wrath of God is to never move on from the cross. That's what keeps us there. That's what refreshes this joy is the triumph of the grace of God and the turning of His wrath. And so He says, I will thank you, Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away. Christ's death has made it possible not only for God's anger to turn away, but for, verse 6 says, the Holy One of Israel to be in our midst. Isn't that amazing? The Holy One whom Isaiah was terrified of because of his sinful lips, that Holy One is in our presence because Jesus satisfied the wrath of God as God's grace triumphed. So, that is the day of your salvation, Christian. That is the joy that comes from the day of your salvation. As we understand the, the depths and height and width of the grace of God, displayed for us on the cross of Christ as we understand the burning desert that we have escaped through the grace of God. As we understand that, what's our response? What should this joy bring out within us? With the Christian experience of life-changing joy, this is what that joy will bring out of us. Thanksgiving. How many times do you say, thank, I will thank you, Lord? He'll bring thanksgiving. 
to realize what we have uh, been saved from, to realize what we have been saved to, to realize how great God is and how great His love for us, to realize His grace for us brings incredible thanksgiving. And then when we realize what we have, what we have been saved from and saved to, we realize who we have been saved to, we will realize that every breath is God's grace. He doesn't owe us one more breath. When we're playing in the well, we are thankful for every moment that we are there, every day, every night, every meal, every child, every dollar, every friend is only made possible by the grace provided for us on the cross of Jesus. The joy of understanding that will make us tremendously thankful we will no longer be upset with God for not, for not trying to help my life meet some of my criteria. God, I'm not happy as I should be. My relationship is not doing what, it, what I want it to do. My spouse is not doing what I want them to do. My bank account doesn't look like you need to get it in order, God. Instead of that attitude, the joy that comes from knowing our salvation is one of thanksgiving. I have a spouse at all? That's the grace of God. My kids are misbehaving. I have kids at all. That's the grace of God. I didn't get that promotion. I have a job at all. That is the grace of God. My church is a mess. I have a church at all. That's the grace of God. The joy of the Lord brings tremendous thankfulness. The joy of the Lord brings faith. And even faith is a gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this faith, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. That joy will help me trust God even more. If God has given me His only Son, what will He withhold from me? If God has provided, for, if God has helped me escape the wrath, uh, if Jesus has helped me escape the wrath of God through the grace of God, what can't I trust Him with? I can trust Him with everything. This joy will give us courage. If God is for me, Scripture says, who can be against me? If He has defeated sin and death and hell for me, if He has satisfied His wrath on the willing Savior, what should scare me? Nothing. The joy of the Lord brings me courage. The joy of the Lord will help us worship. We joyfully want to exalt His name, lift His name high. And my friends, you know this is a big one with me. My friends, when we have the joy of the Lord, we want to share it. How hateful would I be if I have escaped the desert and found the well water and I see somebody over the, on three dunes down still dying of thirst. How hateful would I have to be to not tell him where the salvation is? So Isaiah 12 says, in that day, the day you are saved, the joy of the Lord will well up in you and you will tell the nations, you will proclaim the nations that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus saves us. You will warn people of the wrath to come and show them the triumph of God's grace on the cross. My friends, if we are not desperately seeking to, to share this with our neighbors, do we have the joy of the Lord? Christians, are we living a life joyless? 
And finally, what this shows us is joy of the Lord will bring us a desire to be with other believers. The first two verses are about individuals. Isaiah says, you, singular, you, individual. God's wrath was pointed at you and he's no longer angry at you. His grace has triumphed and Jesus has taken that anger and now God is your comforter. How amazing is that? And then it transitions in verse three to you, plural. You, church, you, believers, sing together. Proclaim together. Work together to spread this news to all the nations. The joy of the Lord should bring us together. And we should understand that better now than ever. My prayer is that you and I and Trinity, that we miss the joy of joining together in praise. Because that's what we're meant to do. The joy of the Lord should propel us to be together. And my friends, if you don't have a church home, find one. May the joy of the Lord propel you to find a church home. So our prayer today, my prayer for you, and I hope your prayer for yourself, and please pray for me, that we remember the joy of the Lord, that we never move on from the well of salvation. And that the joy propels us to thanksgiving, to greater faith, to courage, to worship, to evangelism, and to the church. Now you might say, I don't have that. I'm not going to church. I'm not evangelizing. I'm not worshiping. I don't have courage. I don't have faith. I don't have thanksgiving. What's the answer? I'm a believer. I have faith in Jesus. But I'm not seeing these things in my life. My friends, the answer is not try harder. That's not the solution. Isaiah 12 says that's not the solution. The solution to these things is find joy in the Lord. We are not propelled to do these things by obligation. That's never going to work. Trinity, if we're going to reach Pittsburgh for Christ if we're going to see more people baptized, more people saved, if we're going to get involved with what God is doing in our community, if we're going to see these things happen among us, it doesn't come from obligation. It comes from understanding what Jesus has done and finding tremendous joy in that. And it's that joy that propels us. There are two days. The day of judgment. The day of salvation. The day of salvation is only ushered in by faith in Christ. The day of judgment will be ushered in for all sinners who are not in Jesus. Which day are you waking up to tomorrow? We love you. May you go in the joy of the Lord. We'll see you next time.